0: Can you drink the cup that I drink? Jesus asks this question to James and John, two of his apostles, in the gospel passage we just heard. Can you drink the cup that I drink? Jesus is also asking this question to us. At the heart of this question is an invitation for the apostles and for us to enter into discipleship with Christ. However. We may think that this cup is easy to drink. Drinking a cup doesn't seem hard. But I assure you, this cup is heavy and demands respect. To follow Christ in discipleship means to follow the path of the cross. To follow Christ means to encounter and endure suffering in this life. To follow Christ and drink from the cup of salvation means to live a life Directed by God the Father and not by the ways and benefits of this world. When Jesus speaks of the cup that he must drink, he's using biblical imagery, something that would have been familiar with the apostles, familiar with the Jews he was speaking to, to refer to mankind's sin. In scripture, the cup is usually referred to either the cup of God's blessing or more often the cup of God's wrath. By wrath, I mean the consequence of our sin and the rupture between mankind caused by our sin. The rupture between us and God. That we were, by the fall, separated from God in a very severe way. Our our relationship with God was severely damaged. And this is the cup that we were set to drink. The cup of wrath, God's wrath. We hear one instance of this in Psalm 75 as it says, yes, a cup is in the Lord's hand, foaming wine, fully spiced. When God pours it out, they will drain it even to the dregs. All the wicked of the earth will drink. Here the Psalms refer to the cup of God's wrath, that the wicked must drain it in reconciliation for their wickedness. But Jesus is not wicked. He is the Son of God, the Christ, the Savior. So why must Jesus drink the cup of wrath? Why must Jesus die for the sins of mankind? And why, if the apostles wish to follow Christ, must they too drink from the same cup? Jesus fittingly drinks from the cup of wrath and by doing so conquers death and sin, restoring our unity with God and elevating us as children of God so that we are more than we were even before the fall. We are unable to redeem ourselves And anything we offer in recompense to the Lord is not from us, but only a return to God. My clothes, my food, my home, my very life is a gift from God. Therefore, there is nothing I can give to God that he has not already given to me. For many years, many centuries, sacrificial offerings were made. That's why the the Israelites made burnt offerings. It was as a sign of reconciliation, of recompense. It was something they had to constantly do. And even that was a gift that God gave to them. They just gave a portion of God's gift back to him. They couldn't actually reconcile, they couldn't give something of themselves to the Lord that could actually reconcile them with God. That is until Jesus. In taking on our nature in every way but sin, Jesus also took on the cup of folly in sin. He took on this This heavy burden that we had received through this fall, through this rupture of our relationship with the Lord, with God. Jesus, as both truly God and truly man, was then able to redeem and elevate our nature by laying down his life freely and becoming the sacrificial, spotless lamb. It is for this reason that whenever we pray, whenever we pray to our Lord, pray to God, whenever we do anything in our faith, we always do it in Christ's name. That is, through Christ, through our relationship with Christ, through our discipleship, that we have salvation, that we have been saved, that we have been brought into new life through Christ. That's why we always end with our prayer with Christ. In name in the Christ's name, in the name of Christ. Same thing when we cast out demons, when we ask to be exercised, exercise things from our life. When we ask for things, we ask in Jesus Christ's name. You'll hear it today, even as we pray the universal prayers, the intentions, that we will call upon the name of Christ. It's all through Christ. In speaking of the cup, Jesus refers to the cup of salvation. His very blood, which we celebrate at this Mass in the Eucharist, shed for our sake so that we might enter into salvation. Along with the cup, Jesus also speaks of baptism, That through baptism, we are changed and brought into new life in Christ. However, this is no simple change. In baptism, we are brought into the body of Christ and called to follow the way of Christ, the way of the cross, and ultimately the way of salvific suffering. Our faith is not passive. Our faith is not something that we observe from a distance. It is something we are called to live out. It is a lived experience. Our faith doesn't end with baptism, but it is is at this moment that we are called into a deeper relationship and a discipleship of Christ, wherein we drink from the cup of salvation and follow in the footsteps of our Lord. This is one of the more difficult, yet undeniably more important teachings of our faith. That in faith, we are not called to earthly glory, or comfort, or wealth, but to imitate Christ in all aspects of our lives. This includes laying down our lives for the Father. Jesus did not become one of us and suffer his passion because it benefited him or gained him earthly glory. Jesus was being obedient to the Father, and he laid down his life freely for our sake and for the sake of our salvation. This is what Jesus was trying to communicate to the disciples Specifically to James and John. They were called the Sons of Thunder. They had this nickname, the Sons of Thunder, as kind of like a joking you know, nickname because they're very zealous. They're very excited. They're like, Lord, we're going to do this. We're following you, Lord. We're with you. They were also considered the youngest of the apostles, so you can imagine that they were the gun-ho ones. And everyone's like, okay, Sons of Thunder, you guys got to chill out a little bit. Calm down. But it's good. That, zeal- that zealous nature, that-, that excitement for the Lord, that excitement for faith, that excitement for righteousness is awesome. But here we see it a little misplaced, that they're actually directing it more towards earthly glory, that they're excited. They're like, Lord, we want this from you. We want to sit at your left and your right when you enter into your glory. And Jesus says, that's not for you to decide. And I wonder what they would have thought if they knew at that moment what that would have looked like, the Lord's glory, as he was crucified on the cross. And it was not James and John who were on his left and his right, but a murderer and a thief one of whom repented and said, Lord, let me come into your kingdom. Let me go with you. So the Lord is presenting this reality of humility, this reality of service, that the apostles were not called to be served, to be these great leaders or or emperors or generals in an army, but to be servants, to go out and make known the Father's love and his message. And it's deeply saddening Uh, and difficult the reality that there are those who bear the name Christian, Catholic, priests, bishops, leaders in our church who have betrayed this call to discipleship. There are those who have done the opposite of bringing people to Christ and have lived for glory in this world, have lived what's called uh, a life of clericalism. Seen themselves as better or more righteous or more important than others. And we see this as it has greatly wounded our church. We see the continuation of this revealed sadness, this revealed reality, this sickness in our church, even recently with the the release of the report from from France, the Catholic Church in France, of these many uh, instances of abuse in the church and the cover-up. And I implore you, please pray... For those leaders in the church, please pray for priests and bishops. Because when this happens, they damage the priesthood. They damage the trust people have in the leadership in the church. And they damage, they actually do the opposite of our Lord's will. They become agents of the evil one. And it is one of the greatest sadnesses that we witness today in our church. And on behalf of that, I can't, it's not much, but I apologize for those wounds that that has caused. Because at the root, we are called to lay down our lives. the life of a priest, the life of us as Christians, we are called to lay down our lives to the will of the Father, to die to self, and to live as disciples of Christ. Just as Christ laid down his life, so did the apostles, and so did James and John. Many of the apostles earned the crown of martyrdom, including James, by which they literally laid down their lives. They died for Christ, and they drank from the cup of salvation. In that same way, we too are called to lay down our lives. In our baptism and in our participation in this very Mass, in our living out our lives day to day, we are called to lay down our lives and take up the will of the Father, to live that life of discipleship. You're called to imitate Christ and to drink from this cup of salvation. Considering this, I encourage us as a community of disciples to reflect on our faith today and to recognize those things that prevent us from fully drinking from the cup, to identify prideful or selfish ambitions that prevent us from truly laying down our lives and to ask the Lord for the graces to follow the path he has set before us. The discipleship he invites us to enter into deeper and deeper every day as Christians and as Catholics. Amen.